The only thing I regret about the trauma prayer is that I didn't charge a dollar a piece for it. <laughs> this was never on my bucket list. In fact, um, some of the things the Lord has you do, you have no idea why you're doing them um, or that they will be of any consequence at all. And um, I guess we're grateful for that. Um, the last few years have been um, really extraordinary for us from the standpoint that um, since I turned 60 years old, um, we have put our toes in almost every sea on the face of the earth. That was never on my bucket list. Um, sometimes you're just afraid to even dream for those kinds of things. And yet, the Lord knows what he's wanting to do and how he's wanting to use you in your life. But if you will not choose to enter into your purpose, you don't get the benefit. Um, somebody needs to hear this also. Um, Years ago, the Lord kept calling me a father through the mouths of other people. And as a younger man, much younger, uh, I would much have preferred people just call me Studley or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> oh, thank you so much. Um, but one, of the, one time, the, you know, it was just like, no, nah, I'm not up for that. Because to me, being a father said, I had to be responsible for the knuckleheads and people I didn't even like. So I wasn't up for that at all. And so one time the Lord came and he said, um, you know, it's not very good for you to be in disagreement with the one who created you. Yeah, okay. And he said, but the thing that grieves me most is that if you will not agree with the way I've created you, spoken to you through the mouths of other people who recognize who I've created you to be, you disqualify yourself from receiving the favor that goes along with agreeing with who I created you to be. How many of you are cutting yourselves short from not agreeing what the Lord has said about you? You see, this is, this is a big deal. It's about identity that the enemy is trying to kill. And those things that people have recognized in you and declared to you that you thought, well, you know, that would just be a little arrogant of me to think that. No, no, no. See, the Lord thinks you're a big deal. He really does. Otherwise, he would not have sent his son for you. You're a big deal. So just get over that false humility. Ain't no future in that, baby. I can tell you. Speaking of which, let me tell you who you are. I said last, last night, yeah. <laughs> As scripture says, as he is in this world, so are you.
Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's you. You're not the poor. You're the one who's giving the good news. You got this? You understand this? He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's your job. See, Pat and I were in the golf business in the mid-90s. And we kind of laugh and joke that we prayed for more people by accident while we were in the golf business than we do now on purpose. I'm not absolutely sure that that's totally true. But but the reality is, is that's who we are, period. That's who we will always be. Somebody asks you about, are you ever going to retire? Probably not. Because we're doing what we were created to do. You see, never mind, let's move on. Thank you. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You realize um, the prison doors are already open for everyone who's in, who's in captivity. They're already open. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, that's you this year. It'll be greater favor next year. Why? Because he's dealt with everything that stands between you. Yes, you may. Just don't put it up my nose. Okay. <laughs> All right. Is that more gooder? All right. See, the Lord's happy with you. He's not mad. He's not irritated. In spite of the mistakes that you've made, the dumb decisions, he's still not mad. He kind of likes you. In fact, he was excited, so excited about you on the day he created you. And he still is. You need to get over yourself. See, you're holding stuff against you that the Lord's going, huh? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that you may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Do you realize he's put all of this in your hands that he may be glorified? And what do we do with it? Oftentimes we hide it, ignore it, don't choose to walk in it. And this he declares of you, that you will build up the ancient ruins. You shall raise up the former devastations. 
You will repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. The restoration of families. That's what this is. And it goes on. Um, last night I talked about the fact that um, you and I are predominantly spirits. Um, but we also have a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, and a body. And the enemy has chosen predominantly to attack us spiritually because he's a spirit, okay? Now, those of you who suffered uh, trauma significantly uh, have, for most part, tried to get over it or through it just with talk therapy. Talk therapy is absolutely necessary, but if you do not deal with the spiritual issues and the implications of it, it's going to prolong the time of recovery significantly. So to deal with things first spiritually, then naturally, it's what you have to do, okay? So how do we deal with things spiritually and how do we deal with things naturally? You can combine the two because that's the way we are. We are complex individuals. You cannot determine, take a knife and cut the soul out and just leave your spirit and body. Um, sometimes I wish I could, but um, hasn't worked yet. So. Um, the thing about trauma is this. It is a specific strategy of the enemy to grab hold of you for the purpose of future torment, okay? You and I cannot stop trauma, trauma from happening, but thanks be to God, we don't have to continue to experience it over and over and over again in life. And that's the power of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for each of us, okay? He's given us a way to fulfill that verse in, in Second Peter that says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So this is part of that process that each one of us have to walk in. Now, what I'm going to go through in the next little bit and or later on this afternoon is all of the elements of the trauma prayer. Now, the first one that we're going to, going to walk into is absolutely the most important because if you don't do anything else for the people that you care about and the people that you walk with, except do this one little thing, you'll do most of the heavy lifting for them in, in a, a few minutes. Uh, we taught this thing to um, pastor and his, his assembly, which turned out to be about 75 kids in, in uh, Honduras. And sometime after that event, uh, the pastor was walking with a little kid who was, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old through this little town and ran across a guy who could not use his thumb. So he was holding something just basically with his fingers because his thumb was useless. And the young man saw him and said, could we pray for him? And so they said, yeah. So they went over to him and asked him about his thumb. Well, he had injured it in a motorcycle accident and for 10 years, he had not had the use of his thumb.
the young man walks up to him and said, trauma, go in Jesus' name. And he recovered immediately the use of his thumb. Now, when I pray this thing over, over groups, um, about 10% of the people receive a healing that happened to them or a physical healing that happened as a result of an injury or an accident or surgery or something of that nature. Um, and that's kind of the norm because when trauma happens to you, your body keeps a memory of it all. And sometimes those memories are also binding the physical issue to you that happened as a result of the accident or the injury. And when that traumatic thing is released, you get healed. Well, actually, you don't necessarily get healed. You just recover the use of what you couldn't, couldn't have before. So what is this thing that's so magic about it? Because it is, I believe, part of a, of a higher order demonic strategy that's launched against us. What I have, have seen is that if I ask the Lord to disconnect the individual from this higher order demonic entity trauma through the things that they have suffered, typically what happens is this. Um, it kills tormenting dreams immediately. Now, tormenting dreams is the biggest suffering problem for individuals who have been horrifically abused, had a significant accident, an injury. Uh, sometimes it happens as a result of surgeries and those kinds of things, okay? Hospitals are the least safe place on the planet because the spirit of death walks the hall, followed by infirmity and a number of other things. <laughs> So the last place that you feel safe in is not only a hospital, but the last thing that we all want to do is not only go there, but um, have to visit others there. But because you are a child of the king and have authority in the name of Jesus Christ, you do not have to continue to suffer the things that occur in those places. Okay? Think, well... Hospital should be a place of healing. Yeah, but how many stories have you heard of somebody who went into a hospital for a relatively benign situation and contracted the disease that darn near killed them and stayed in there a month and it wrecked them financially? <clears throat> it happens more frequently than you can imagine. Uh, while we were here, we had a young lady this was several years ago, obviously, um, who came in and she had been in an automobile accident and was going in and out of consciousness. Um, she was raped in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. She was raped by orderlies in the hospital. Had nothing to do with the accident. Um, <clears throat> The devastation that comes along with that is obviously significantly profound. But you can get through it rapidly if you can cut off the spiritual aspects of it, which was 
this strategy of the enemy to continue to torment her for years and years and years afterward. Why? Um, think of it in this fashion. If the enemy, and if you guys had were not here last night, you need to go to their website, kingofglory.kog.com. <laughs> kingofglorycc.com last night's uh, presentation will be up on there I don't know sometime next week but at any rate it builds a foundation of what we're talking about with the, the situation that you and I being predominantly spirits need to begin to look at things through that set of eyes rather than simply through your soul and <clears throat> So if we will begin to do that, um, you're going to begin to see the strategies of the enemy that have been forged against you because the enemy knows why you're here. And he can't have that. So the things that have been attacking you, sometimes if you, if you sit down and, and interview an individual about the things that they've been suffering through, you can get a really good idea about what their purpose is because most of the attacks of the enemy come exactly against your purpose as an individual on this earth and so if that's still your issue of trying to figure out why why you're here take a look at your history sometimes it'll tell you precisely what it is and what the enemy has been trying to kill in you or stomp out so that you don't actualize the very thing that you were created for <clears throat> so asking the Lord to um, deal with these higher order demonic strategies is very important for a couple of reasons. First Corinthians 15:46 says it is not first the spiritual and then the natural, but it is first the natural and the spiritual. And basically what it's saying is you want to know what's going on in the spirit and how things are structured. Look in the natural, because that's where it was patterned from anyway. So the way we look at it is this, is that we are, we are fighting a war against an army. And that army looks very, very much like the structure that we have on this earth, where there's one person in charge, a hierarchical, pyramidal type structure in which the head of the thing is up at the top and there's a bunch of lower order privates and sergeants and whatever else down at the bottom, okay? Now, a principality, a power, a ruler, a throne, or a dominion, which are the higher order demonic entities, do not come and attack you. In other words, if the wacko president of Venezuela were decided that you needed to be eliminated, he's not gonna get in an airplane fly to the local Asheville airport, rent a car and drive up and beat on your door at midnight with the butt of his sword and call you out in the streets. They don't do that. They send their emissaries. So he stands on the Capitol steps in Caracas and says, Sam needs to go. He's a threat to the existence of everybody in the universe. So we need to eliminate him. And the faster we do it, the better off we'll be. So I'm going to send out a contingent to deal with him. Well, 
Psalm 115, 16 says, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth is to be given into the hands of men. So you and I have been given authority in the name of Jesus to deal with all of these lower order demonic entities. But the cool thing about it is, when you ask the Lord to deal with the attack of a principality, a power, a ruler, a throne, or dominion against you, the command structure tends to fall all apart. So I have had some really decent success delivering people of demonic entities by asking the Lord to cut the top off the organization. See, that's how much power and influence you have. You just need to make the right appeal to get the job done. See, <laughs> the enemy through fear and intimidation has caused us to shrink back from the place that we have been given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How many of you are afraid of a demon? Or we'd say, oh, not me, not me. Bull. See, one of the things that happens to us and I, we just don't see this, is that Scripture tells us that Jesus took captivity captive, making a parade, a spectacle of them. What did he do? He stripped the enemy of all of his weapons. So what's he got left? Deceit, fear, and death. And so if I can get you afraid of death. What's it look like? Death of my reputation. Death of my abilities. Death of my position. Ridicule, rejection, and abandonment. That's what we fear. But what does scripture say? I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I gave you power, love, and a sound mind. This book back here called The Enemy Within, I asked the Lord about it. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm almost done with this book. I need to ask the Lord if he'd like to weigh in on this thing. <laughs> I'm not totally dumb. And uh, he said, uh, thanks for the opportunity. I said, you're welcome. Um, so I said, Lord, would you, would you talk to me about fear? And he said, I'd really rather talk to you about courage. Because I didn't create you with fear. You learned it. And you can unlearn it. See, that's the very thing that trauma was created to do for us is I don't want this to ever happen again, so I'm going to self-protect. What's his, what's his real goal? Is I want you to become your own God. That's a heck of an accusation. But that's the reality of his strategy. I want you in control. So what's he trying to do? He's saying, you know, this heart deal is really kind of painful, so maybe you just need to pack that sucker away and live life out of this. 
you can figure it all out. You can decide what's unsafe and what you don't need to deal with and what you should shy away from. What does that produce? Well, number one, it cuts this off. Where does Holy Spirit reside? What does he speak to? What is he trying to influence? Not this. He wants this to rule over that. And so what do we do? I do what most trauma sufferers do, is I become on guard 24-7 of everything that has the ability to harm me, hurt me, diminish me, attack me, wound me. And so I take and spend the vast majority of my emotional energy trying to take stock of everything in my environment. And what have I done? I've diminished my spirit. I have killed my own personal discernment. And I've cut off the language of the Holy Spirit who has the ability to warn me of everything I need to take have attention with. Plus, because I'm in control now, the word of the Lord who said, I have become your rear guard is no longer effective because I'm doing it myself. What does that sound like? A two-year-old. <laughs> Let me tie your shoes. I do it myself. Um, so what do we adopt? We adopt things like perfectionism. Um, if I can do this well enough, I'll be good. We used to get so frustrated with my oldest daughter who would sit down and Got to put your shoes on. Okay. Well, 15 minutes later, she's still trying to tie her shoes. She wants the strings to come out even with the tip of this, the bow and the tip come out. Like, Dear Lord, let me cut those suckers off. <laughs> <coughs> like, thank you, Jesus, for Velcro. <laughs> well, it was, but that's, that's what we do. And so we have all of these, these bizarre responses to ordinary situations that rob us of the very thing that we were created to walk in. That's love, peace, and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what trauma is after. Not only our identity, but the sense that I'm okay because I know there's somebody I can depend on that I can hang in with, okay? So asking the Lord to disconnect you from any second heaven entity that's gained access to you through the, through, um, <clears throat> the things that you have suffered is extraordinarily effective. Now, what I've also seen, and you can see this in a lot of biblical accounts, and particularly with respect to the enemies of Israel is, um, for instance, Syria is one of their, their long-term enemies. And inevitably, the beginning of the passage that talks about one of the kings or generals coming to attack them is said along with 32 other kings. Now, a king was basically the authority in some local area, a tribe or um, 
another nation. And that's precisely what happens in, in the heavenlies is that trauma will engage other second heaven entities to make certain that its attack against you is that much more effective. And I think one of those things that happens to us is, is something like poverty. Okay, when we feel like we don't have the resources to respond to the situation that we're in, what do we do? We back away. Or <clears throat> intimidation. Okay, I want to blow this problem up so big that you can't find a handle. There's no solution to it. And then also what it does is it sends along such things as confusion. Um, because we, the enemy knows how we function. When I face something that I've never seen before, I search through my memory bank of things that look like, smell like, act like, walk like this thing. And that's the way I treat it until I find out it's different. And so what it's looking to do is to instill fear in you in any way it can. So it presents itself not only bigger than you can handle, but there's no way to grab, grab onto this thing. So I can't figure out how to wrestle with it. So the confusion and intimidation are partners with trauma. You see, one of the interesting things about this generation, um, and it's, it's incredibly sad, um, the Veterans Administration has reported that 60% of the individuals who have been clinically diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder um, didn't actually fight in combat. They may have served in a combat zone but they didn't experience personal combat themselves. <clears throat> that is really, really sad because it's my contention that it is the role of the father who is predominantly responsible for establishing the identity of a child. And what we're seeing is the results of it in the military. When you compare that against what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, those who went through the children of the depression and went through World War II, um, what happened? Obviously they, they struggled with stress. Many of them saw things that they never talked about which is typical of trauma victims. They don't want to talk about it okay, for fear that it will raise all of those feelings. How many of you had a father or grandfather who fought in World War II and you may have heard only one story? Yeah, it's common for all of us. We wrote that off <clears throat> as being this is what the society did at the time. No, trauma invaded an entire world so that we could isolate from one another. <clears throat> so what we have to do 
Um, and this, I think, is part of our role as believers, as the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, is dealing with not only the principalities, but these cultural things that have been inculcated because of previous wars and conflicts that have caused us to remain isolated from one another. You and I were not created to live life alone. No man is an island. But that's precisely what the enemy wants you to do. Isolation is typically one of the greatest things that you and I fight, regardless of whether we experience trauma or not. Because what does it produce? Um, Some of the cases that we have run into that we cannot help are individuals who have isolated themselves to the point that they have been alone with their own thoughts over a period of years. Their thinking process is so peculiar, so difficult, that logical arguments have no way to touch them. Um, I believe that this is one of the things that drives people to suicide. If you look at Elijah in 1 Kings 19, that was, that was the end of his journey. He cuts off relationship after relationship after relationship. Finally, he comes to his, his servant and says, hey, you wait here. I'm going another journey, today's journey into the wilderness. And what's he do? He starts feeling sorry for himself. He gets depressed, begins to be suicidal. We lose a veteran in the United States every 32 minutes. Why? Because they become isolated. So how do they deal with their pain? Well, for those who have decided to go to the VA, what do they get? Medicated. What does that do? Um, it alters your ability to deal with your own issue because you're effectively living in denial. So it exacerbates the isolation. And it's no wonder we wind up with so many people who are committing suicide. But those who do not go for help typically wind up uh, as addicts not only to drugs and alcohol, but also to pornography and everything else. And uh, that's not only destructive to their nuclear family, but it's destructive to them as well, because you're dealing with not only the psychological issues, but you're now dealing with all of the physical ramifications of it as well, okay? Because what happens to most of them is they can't get over the tormenting dreams. Uh, the things you see, the things you experience, um, those have another interesting effect in that they rob you of the ability to rest. If you fear going to sleep because you know what you're going to engage, you don't want to go to sleep. And so rather than do that, you medicate. And that's just increases the destructive cycle. 
this little thing of asking the Lord to disconnect someone from the higher order demonic entity deals with tormenting dreams immediately. In the 5% or so of the population that it does not work for, it's because they have themselves have been engaged in occult activity and you have to deal with that. Um, <clears throat> I also ask the Lord to cancel any contracts or places of agreement that have been entered into by other second heaven entities, other higher order demonic entities to make the attack much worse. And those include poverty, illness, infirmities, cancers, whatever else, okay? This in and of itself deals with the most difficult part of it. Um, you still may have to ask the Lord to disconnect the trigger mechanisms, but part of that is also going to be dealt with in, in another section about this dealing with the body itself. You and I we're not made to carry all of the effects of trauma, okay? You were not made that way. But if we weren't made that way, then the Lord has something available to us to unload it. And so he's given us a strategy in that, and I'll cover that later on this afternoon. Um, but before we head out to lunch here, I want to... I want to do one more thing. And typically what happens in the context of trauma is a portion of the individual um, is stripped from them um, and held captive or prisoner in some other time, space, place, or dimension. You think, well, we've gone weird. Well, get over it because uh, this is a weird world we live in. The reality of this is, and we touched a little bit on this last night, is you are predominantly a spirit. Okay. Um, so there are some things that can happen in the spirit that you and I um, have not been educated on but they are the reality of life. What does the enemy do often to us when abuse has happened or um, some significant series of accidents or injuries happen? Number one, we try to avoid them. So I'm entering into self-protection. But oftentimes what happens, and this is particularly true of uh, females who have been or males who have been sexually abused over an extended period of time. They try to shut some portion of themselves down that they deem is partially responsible for this happening to them. And so part of that can be, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dis try and disconnect from my female-ness or my male-ness so that this doesn't happen or it diminishes the impact of it on me. Um, <clears throat> this is one of those things where um, 
we as individuals um, can't fulfill the purpose for which we're created if we have deemed that some portion of us is not suitable for it or that it makes us more vulnerable, more rejectable, less lovable, what have you, which is precisely a strategy that the enemy has provided. And so oftentimes this is part and parcel of what goes on. So this portion of an individual has to be rescued and rejoined with the individual so that you as a whole person can engage the balance of the struggle of recovery. Okay, so what I wind up doing is I ask the Lord to, I need some angels to go get this piece of this person. Now, um, several years ago, the Lord said, um, I want you to do it. I'm like, uh, this is mission impossible. Because number one, I don't know what got taken. I don't know where it is. I don't know how to get there. And I don't know what I'm doing when I get there. Uh, so maybe you just send an angel, that'd be good. He said, no, I want you to do it. So I said, well, you're going to have to give me some angelic help. And so he sent me two. And they grabbed a hold of me. And we took off Lord knows where. But we wound up. The next scene is me walking down this dark <coughs> hallway. Uh, if that's the Lord's telling hi for us, really. Um, and ushered into this prison cell, and there was this person who was dressed in white but on their knees, all bent over, their head up against the far wall, totally wrapped in chains. There were locks on it, but the locks were open. The cell door itself was open, and there were guards outside, but the door was open. What did I read just a minute ago in Isaiah 61? So I walked in, took off the chains, picked this person up. I didn't know what to do. I just slung her over my shoulder, and we took off. When I asked the Lord, to rejoin those portions of her, to remove any defilement of any place it had been. This woman was sobbing uncontrollably. And when it was done, I asked her, tell me, tell me what you experienced. And she said, for the first time since I was a kid, I felt like the real me. That's, that's the situation that so many people who have experienced trauma have felt like. Something got taken from me. And what we would describe it is my innocence has been lost. Well, yeah, that may be true, but you lost a whole lot more than just that. 
it was a constituent element of who you were created to be that you need in order to walk in the fullness of who you were created to be. So you see, you and I are restorers of a breach, the breach in an identity. A breach in the wall that you and I have been described as in scripture. We are living stones connected to one another. What Pat talked about is I need you, you need me. Yeah, we need each other. But we need each other to be whole. And that's part of our collective job, you and I. So I'm going to pray this over y'all. Not sure what it's going to do to your appetite at lunch, but uh, we'll find out. Jesus, you are so, so, so good. You have our best interest at heart and you always have. And Father, we, we don't understand a love and a commitment to people who you would give your only son for. But you did. A supreme sacrifice for each one of us because of that depth of love and appreciation for who you made. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would disconnect every person in this room from every higher order demonic entity that has attacked each one of them through trauma, or however it was received, whether it was rejection, abandonment, accidents, injuries, abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, or otherwise through deaths or divorces. While they existed in the womb of their mothers. Or through the tough years of growing up in a home that had nothing. And parents who knew little about how to love or show love. through childhood accidents and injuries, through surgeries, through major health issues, abortions, rapes, violence. In fact, even those things that they have engaged in in the organizations, business losses, churches folding, investments that were stolen, children who went off the rails, parents who suffered some major injury or 
a natural disease, Alzheimer's. And whom they became caretakers for. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would disconnect them from every lower order demonic entity that has tried its best to instill fear and intimidation. Has tried to prophesy to them that the devastation of their past would be their future as well. I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that every blessing that you declared in Deuteronomy 31. No. 28. I ask, Father, that those would overtake them. I ask, Father, that you would remind them of the dreams they left behind, they set aside the things they felt like they didn't have resources to attend to. They were too old or too young or too something. I ask, Father, that you would even begin to counter every lie that they believed when those things happened to them. That somehow there was something they could have done. Something they should have seen, should have known. A prayer they could have prayed. An authority that they should have been able to walk in. Father, I just cut them off right now from every pathway, every portal, every means that the enemy has chosen to speak to them, to whisper in their ear that they're not enough. And I just shut that thing down right now in Jesus' name. And I declare in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you're not only enough. But you are everything that the Lord created you to be. And it is indeed awesome. He has not chosen to discount the authority that he's given you. The fullness of everything that he opened to us is yours. And to make sure that it functions like it's supposed to, he's given you the Holy Spirit, of whom it is said, he's everything you need. The friend that sticks closer than a brother, your nurturer, your healer, your teacher, your guardian. 
the Lord has declared, I have become your rear guard. Angels watch over you. So Father, I bless them to walk in the fullness of everything that you have promised them. And we declare, not only are you faithful, but the plans that you have for us are good. They are excellent. And we are grateful. So Father, I bless them. I bless them to walk in the fullness of everything that you created for them. I bless them to see, understand, and appropriate everything that you have for them. That nothing is discounted. I bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For they are worthy to be blessed. the awesome creatures and creations of the Lord God himself. Amen and amen. The mass is over. You may depart in peace. <laughs> Thank you for listening to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. Connect with us on Instagram at KOG underscore Asheville and on Facebook at facebook.com slash KOG Asheville.